You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of SplatterPictures.net. What's up, everybody? Wes, Dead Air, and I appear with always Typical Lydia. On today's show, this is show number 30. It's a biggie. Not really. Why is it not a biggie? I mean, 40 is bigger. 50 is huge. 100 is nuts. You know, you're you're like making me feel bad about it now because now I think that you're right and I can't be happy with episode 30 anymore. I know. We're looking pretty 25 for 30. So yeah, okay, fine. 30 is big. Yeah, 30 is big. The big 3-0. <laughs> On today's show, we're going to be doing the... We're going to be doing the 1988 classic, Night of the Demons, also known as Halloween Party, which I didn't realize. Also known as a Thursday night for me. (laughs) Every day is Halloween for you. It's true. It's a good way to be. The thing I love about this movie is that it is completely, unapologetically Halloween. It's like a fucking seasonal display at a department store. It's got... Cats and ghosts and bats and pumpkins and boo written on the wall. It does, basically. Yes, it does. <laughs> and everywhere that they go, is you're surrounded by Halloween from the get-go. Oh, hell yeah. The opening credits are the most Halloween fucking shit you could possibly watch. I love those opening credits. They remind me of the opening credits of like Hilarious House of Frightenstein and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think enough movies do are really good animated intros like that i remember being really impressed by it when i saw it because like a lot of movies i never saw the first one first i always seem to see sequels first and for me i saw night of the demons 3 which came out when i was about well i was pretty young when the third one came out yeah in 97 and it came out on the movie network and i watched it dozens of times i just watched it every single time i don't know why i just really liked it and for the so, tongue through the head scene that's why i'd watch it over and over again yeah yeah that's pretty there's a lot of great scenes and that lots of great practical effects and you know the movie is a little cheesy but at the same time i like things that are a little cheesy the second one's pretty cheesy and i hardly recall it i think i've only seen it two or three times ever Me and too. i've never really watched it through i've always become distracted distracted myself or just not watched it The first one I went back and I watched and immediately was struck by the intro and then was just along for the ride. They really set up the movie really well just with that music, which is so iconic, and all the imagery, which is iconic, but at the same time super cliche, but you go with it because you're just like, yeah, fuck yeah, Night of the Demons, whatever. It's a Halloween movie and it takes place on Halloween. They do that transition from the animated pumpkin to a real pumpkin and then boom, the movie's in ready to go yeah it's an awesome halloween intro and i think every time i watch it through kind of silently just enjoying all that halloween stuff ghosts goblins haunted houses witches oh yeah yeah graveyards love it when the movie starts off we're introduced to our cast of characters what an interesting cast of characters they are the beginning sort of parallels the very beginning of the third one too it happens in the same way like a couple in a car and their friend in the back seat flops over to say something ridiculous. I like this. It's so funny because 
it's literally two people in the front seat of a car talking, one of them just being a reprehensible douche. And you wouldn't even know that there was a third person in the fucking car. That all of a sudden he just pops up. Hey guys. Yeah. Who is who does that on the way to a party? You're just lying down in the back of the seat, not saying anything or doing anything. He could they could have just picked him up from work. Who knows? Maybe he's he chilling was in a pirate, out. He was maybe, in a pirate costume. Maybe he's jerking off. Leave him alone. <laughs> Fuck. He gotta rub one out before he gets to the party. Yeah, well yeah. Of course he does. He's like, look guys, there's gonna be a lot of ladies there. I don't wanna act like an idiot. If I jerk off before I see them all, then I'll be fine. I'll be mellow. Yeah. Because it's 1988, he wasn't sitting back there texting his friends or scrolling Instagram. That's what I'm saying. He was doing something. He was doing something. I give him the benefit of the doubt. I don't think he was jerking off. I think it was just a weird way for them to introduce a third character into that scene that you didn't really know was there. Yeah. Maybe hoping that you would get a little bit of a scare out of people. Like people with like super weak constitutions. Where they're just like, ah, someone's there. Or they're all jazzed. They're like, I'm watching a scary movie. There's a pumpkin. Okay, something's going to happen. Ah! <laughs> yeah. Maybe maybe that's it. Also, I don't know. I'd have to rewind back to like 89, 90 when I would have watched this. Because it was definitely a renter on VHS when it first came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. That would have been the sort of thing that little tiny 13-year-old me would have just been like, you know, jazzed and ready for and waiting. Me and my friends friend terry watching this for sure oh yeah we probably would have had a little tiny jump from something like that at 13 years old this is definitely one of those movies like i said that i typically will watch in the month of october i just think it suits it really really well do you have movies like that sort of not really no i just watch october style theme movies whenever i want to no i know but so do i it's not like i can't watch a movie because it doesn't take place in the month of october but I think to sort of get into the mood for the season, I have a habit of w- like saving, holding off on certain movies. In the month of October, I like to watch horror movies that I've seen a bunch of times. But I also need to flesh it out with ones that I've been meaning to see. Typically, classics that I just haven't gotten around to yet. I like to pull those out. Like I'm waiting to um, next Easter to watch this resurrection film that is eluding me so far. Uh, I don't know. I watch Halloween, but I watch Halloween whenever I want to anyway, right? But I mm-hmm. do tend to watch. I don't have to watch anything to get into the mood mm-hmm. because I'm always in a Halloween mood. So it's a permanent October in my head. It's always a little cold. Mm-hmm. Leaves are always turning in your mind. Things are rotting. Things are, things are rotting. Mm-hmm. Pumpkins, mostly. Yes. We'll say yes. Pumpkins. <laughs> what the fuck is that supposed to mean? <laughs> anyway, no, yeah. Uh, I can see this being a perfect Halloween movie. And people, I see this question on like forums and message boards and whatever all the time. We've been asked this question about seasonal horror. Um, it is a really cool entry into... Halloween horror films. Oh, yeah. It's definitely the type of movie that you could leave on at a party and just have it on and not really pay attention to it. This is why I don't remember anything from Night of the Demons 2. Oh, is that why? Yeah. (laughs) That or because I would put it on and be distracted and not pay attention or, Mm -hmm. you know, that's why I don't remember a lot of horror films. Yeah. I'm sort of against the put on a movie at a party, but okay, sure. Well, to me... I always like to have something on as the cinematic equivalent of those old cassette tapes that used to have scary sounds. Yeah. So this is is my old cassette tape of scary sounds. Yeah, okay. 
I wouldn't want to watch this for the first time at uh, as background noise at a party or whatever, right? So, but either way, it would be yes, good backdrop because it's super Halloweeny. It is super Halloweeny, super gothy Halloweeny too. It's not uh, like the reason why I haven't watched the remake is, as I'd said when we were speaking of this before we were recorded. That is just Halloween as envisioned by jocks. And I'm just not interested in that version of Halloween. This is a far less offensive to me version of Halloween. It's cheesy and it's ridiculous. Yes, but I like it. I can handle it. There's some jock-like elements to this movie, too, that you had pointed out that I hadn't even really noticed. What is the name of the character that we're first introduced to in the car? Uh, Stooge. Stooge? The guy with the pig nose, right? Really? That's his name? I mean... Is that his Christian name? Probably not. But that is definitely what people call him. Yeah, guy with the pig nose. Bebop. Yeah. All he needs is a rock steady. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, he is, uh, I don't know what he is. I refer to him as he's gone so deep far into jock that he's bust through and come out the other side as a punk. He, I, it's funny because it seems to me like he's playing a punk character and the character was written by somebody who only has a basic understanding of what a punk might be. Yeah, they so, saw them as they drove past in their car. So it's just like, yeah, just kind of make him like a, a, a beer-swollen dirtbag, and he's huge and, you know, kind of gross, and he's a punk. Yeah, well, do something really weird with his hair and uh, throw an anarchy symbol on his back, and poof, instant punk. <laughs> but he's wearing, like, sweat, like, like jogging sweats clothes. It is really weird. And I thought it was strange that his car is so decked out. His car's got a pumpkin strap to it. And he's wearing, like, pumpkin underoos. And he seems to at least like Halloween or like to party. And Halloween's as good an excuse as any to dress kind of odd. But his only costume is a pig nose. Like, there's definitely people who are more casually into Halloween in the movie that have more effort into their costumes than he does. Yeah, he doesn't really have Halloween spirit. No. At all, really. I think it is just an excuse to party. And he probably, aside from the pumpkin strapped to the top of his car, his car probably looks exactly like that all the time. And those underoos he's probably been wearing for a month. <laughs> well, they're going to a party. All these teens, 20 teens, they're all, you know, they're, they're, none of them look like they're... Movie teens. Movie they're teens. They're like 30. <laughs> yeah. All the movie teens are g- getting together because they're going to have... A Halloween party. Well, now to age them. This is supposed to... Was it taking place in, in the time frame in which it was filmed? So, 88? I would um, I would say there was no reason to think that it didn't take place in 1988. Yeah, because... What was his name? Sal? Sal was the... Yeah, Sal was the dude that... With the like the Brooklyn accent. Yeah, so if it is, Sal, Sal died uh, in that film. Well, apparently. But they show a tombstone, like a mock tombstone later. And he was born in 1970. So that makes him 18, right? Mm -hmm. So they're all supposed to be 18. Yeah. Yeah. They seem a little old for their age. They're like kids. Well, they want to go to the school dance. I guess, do people go to school dances at 18? I guess so. I mean, I was in my final year of high school when I was 18 years old. I was starting college. Mm Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I did grade 13, though. I left in the beginning of my grade 12 year, although I had only two credits left to go because I fast-tracked myself before fast-tracking was a thing and then decided, fuck you very much, high school. I'm a mature student now. And wrote the mature student test at 17 and then just counted the days. I wrote the immature student test. Yeah, 
Yeah. yeah, that's where I just draw a bunch of dicks on the textbooks. Sweet. <laughs> Instant A. <laughs> Top of the class. <laughs> Want to be the valedictorian? Yeah, sure. Valedictorian? <laughs> You're my valedictorian, Wes. Uh, emphasis on dick. Well, we're introduced to, yeah, a bunch of people. And they're going to, God, Angela's? Is it Angela? Not even, because Angela's so creepy. They're already creeped out that they're going to go do anything with Angela because she's so creepy. She's into, like, Satanism and witchcraft. In Uh, the 80s, Lydia, that's serious. Satanic panic, totes, oh my god. But yes, so, no, it's not Angela's house. It's Hall House. Wait a second, what's Hall House? Hall House is a creepy funeral parlor on the top of the hill overlooking town, somewhere near the creepy cemetery, that has been boarded up for years, and no one goes there. I heard that a murder took place there. And you know what? <laughs> I'm sorry. You broke the sea. <laughs> because I'm like racking my brain for all of the background that is Hall House. I mean, it's a scene of a murder. It was a funeral parlor. There's a graveyard there. There's a river running underneath to keep the demons from coming in or going out i don't remember actually there was also a talk that before the town was really even built that native americans believed that the land that this funeral home was going to be built on was cursed so there's a lot of backstory a lot of different things the micmac burial grounds probably nearby oh maybe yeah i wonder if we should do a night of the demons four with pets Oh. That'd be cute. You think so? Yeah. Demon dogs, demon kitties, demon rats. Well, they all come back wrong, though. That's okay. They'll be all contained under Hull House because of the river that runs underneath, keeping them all from crossing running water. Because I didn't know that about demons. That's a new thing. I thought I was strictly a vampire. Yeah, like just running water. They can't... Or just water. Yeah. I don't know. Vampires got a lot of weaknesses. Yep, yeah, so do these demons, apparently, but not in Hull House, because they're super, super powerful on Halloween, because that's where all the demons are, like, concentrated. It is the one night that they don't have to stay in Hell, and we're told all this by Angela. I like the whole Hell House, Hull House thing. We live across the river from Hull. Go figure. How weird is that? That's an Ottawa connection that isn't really an Ottawa connection like, at all. That's reaching, like... It is reaching, but... As soon as like they say Hull House, I was like, oh my god, we totally live across the river from Hull. Does that mean that we're the demons trapped on this side, or they're the demons trapped on that side? I don't even know anymore. Angela has a little friend who's possibly the weirdest character in this entire movie. Suzanne? Suzanne, who is dressed in a pink outfit. I guess she's supposed to be, like, what would you say, like... A gumdrop fairy? A gumdrop fairy. I don't know what she's supposed to be. I'd say Princess Peach, but that's not really a thing in 1988. No, and if this was, like, 2008, we wouldn't even be questioning. She'd just be a slutty Halloween costume girl. But now we're sort of questioning it because it's 1988 and Mm -hmm. people didn't really do that. She's something that shows off her butt. Oh, does it ever. And she uses her butt. It's powerful. Like, it gets her things. Where she just bends over at convenience stores and the clerks there don't pay any attention to her friend filling up a sack full of goods like, I mean, she's totally trick-or-treating in the store it's like the most illegal thing ever it's crazy but the guys are yes mesmerized then when they're ass. at the house she's like 
dancing, and I'm doing air quotes so the listeners can't hear, but it's literally her just like her butts in the air and she's but it's not like it's not like she's twerking people it's not there's nothing she just has her butt in the air and she's kind of just swaying her butt around yeah it's not it's not anything it's nothing it's driving it drives me crazy well you think they really like dulled down her dancing quote unquote because of the dancing later probably so they didn't want her to actually do any sort of dance. All she does is wiggle her butt around. And yeah, it's it's hypnotizing. It does it does the job. Yeah. Gets stuff done for her. She has a mesmerizing butt, so she just wiggles it around. It's perfect. We're also introduced to Judy. That's basically our final girl. She is very chaste, very virginal. There's a lot of there are a lot of tropes going on in this movie for sure. A lot of things a lot of T's being crossed and I's being dotted. Make sure you have all these things. Judy's got like the annoying little brother that jumps out of the closet with like a Halloween mask. Which I'm glad that we, that he doesn't persist through the film because I hate that kid. I feel like it was written as annoying little brother. Crank that shit up to 11. Every cliche that you could give an annoying little brother, put that in the five minutes he's on the fucking screen. Yeah, I wanted him to get slapped, though, in those five minutes that he was on the screen. Maybe twice. Yeah. Yeah. It was snot. It's very 50s household that she comes from, and she's very, you know, um, Bobby Sox cheerleader kind of thing. And her mom is, a like, a typical 50s mom, except for the what I think is a volume addiction and alcoholism <laughs> and, like, utter emotional imbalance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In the three seconds that we see this woman. But, uh, yeah, she is super chaste, and she is, like, this blonde cheerleader type, very sweet, virginal, has the perfect little boyfriend, everything like that. Well, you'd think he was the perfect boyfriend. Well, yeah, of course, like, most guys in films like this, he you know, is a little bit of a turncoat that way, and he is a wolf in sheep's clothing. Yeah. Oh, he's a horn dog in sheep's clothing. He wouldn't even dress up for the Halloween party. He just was... I mean, he looked like he was a fucking extra Miami Vice. Yeah, when you pointed that out later, I was like, that's his costume. <laughs> Thinking, yeah, he's Don Johnson. <laughs> well, he doesn't know he's Don Johnson. He just thinks that he's super slick, cool 80s guy. Those people that dress as Hunter S. Thompson every single day and don't know it. <laughs> it's true. One of the most confusing aspects about this movie that I hadn't really realized until we started watching it today was that Angela and Suzanne seemed to have set this whole thing up. They wanted to have a big Halloween party with a bunch of people from school. Angela herself is not a popular student and we're told this by the other kids. Basically, that she's a weirdo that no one really hangs out with and they don't really know what she's into. It seems that her only friend might be Suzanne. The idea seems to be to bring them to this notorious funeral home and scare them. I guess. I'm behind it. Right. 100%. It seems like a completely legitimate plot point, good enough to make the movie go forward. Except I'm not exactly sure how the fuck they were supposed to scare them. Because I guarantee you what happens to them was not part of the plan. I don't think it was part of the plan at all because even finding things like maybe the mirror was supposed to be part of the beginning of their plan because when they discover the mirror, Angela begins almost like a seance, right? It's a, it, she calls it a party game, but it, 
the idea, I guess, is to look at to the in, look at her in the mirror, and you have to look at the mirror until the mirror turns black. But they don't really do any ritual. No, they don't. And but I'm maybe that was uh, part of like a mood setting thing, and they had something planned for later. I don't know. Maybe there's a bucket of blood in the rafters we don't see. I don't know. Whatever it is that they're planning to scare them, or maybe they're just. You know, let's bring the squares to the haunted funeral parlor and we'll just wait. We'll just wait. They'll freak themselves out, man. Fucking squares. Yeah, because we (laughs) hang out here all the time and we're used to this. As soon as they find that crematorium, they're going to fucking lose their minds. So we'll just we'll just wait. We'll just let them get freaked out all by themselves. Well, it kind of works. Kind of. But I mean, not to their benefit whatsoever. Well, it's kind of a weird combination. I could sort of see them saying, let's freak out the squares by inviting Judy there. Because she's pretty square. But the rest of them aren't really, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, the guy that's dressed up as a doctor and his girlfriend don't seem too square. They're pretty cool. Uh, you've got like fucking Bebop and Rocksteady or whatever <laughs> her name is. you got Stooge and I, I guess what would be his girlfriend... Although he calls her a bitch so much. Oh, yeah. It's super uncomfortable. And then they bring uh, uh, Roger. That's the friend in the back. Yeah, Roger's actually pretty cool, too. And he doesn't seem to be... He doesn't want to be there, but he doesn't seem scared. He's not, like, freaked out, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. The sort of freaked out and scared Mm -hmm. that Angela and Suzanne were hoping for. None of them really seem freak-outable. All they want to do is drink. Sal is probably immune to being freaked out. By, like, scary ghost stories and stuff like that. All mm-hmm. they care about, really, is drinking beer. So I think they, they picked on the wrong set of squares. Yeah, especially since they, on the one hand, comment about how weird and and sort of how much of an outcast Angela is. Yet they are all, yeah, right. You know what I mean? Like, they all seem to be, I don't know if they're popular kids in school, but they all seem well-adjusted, and a couple of them definitely seem to be like they're probably the popular kids in school or have a, a good deal of friends. And when this random girl invites them to a party, they're like, yeah. So how much of a dork could she really have been? I don't know. Maybe they were just looking for something, you know, well, untoward for Halloween. Judah's boyfriend did point out the fact that, wow, it's going to be her party, and it's going to be crazy scary and awesome because... Every day is Halloween for her, so this is, like, the best time ever. Sort of like when you were talking about the Beetlejuice episode, uh, I'd go to Lydia Dietz's Halloween party, because it (laughs) would be cool, you know what I mean? So that's it. They're like, well, she's going to have the best Halloween party at the abandoned funeral parlor. To be fair, that is a cool place to have a Halloween party. If you're going to have a Halloween party, and you're like, hey guys, it's at an abandoned funeral parlor. First of all, I wouldn't go into an abandoned building just because I'd be like, nah, uh, excuse me, uh, ladies and gentlemen, the rules clearly say that we're not allowed to enter the premises. But you've also got the caveat that all the locks are missing because they've tried to keep it boarded up and tried to keep people out. So people have been in and out of there. So you've got that sort of security blanket that it's safe I and would you're still, not trespassing. I would still be too much of a chicken shit. I'd be like, you can't come to my Halloween party, Wes. Oh my God. There goes that idea. Anyway. So yeah, they are breaking and entering, basically. Yes. And they're going to see the creepy girl that nobody actually likes or hangs out with. So yeah, I know it makes no sense. And there's only 10 of them. What part of this party involves 10 people who don't really fucking get along, don't really know each other very well, and are going to go hang out with somebody that they don't really like? Yeah. 
it's crazy. But when you when the party's actually well, first when they first get there, it like nothing's set up. It's dark and creepy, and they're just sort of stumbling around, not really knowing what the fuck is going on. But then when they set up the party, at least like the main party room, then all of a sudden it's all decorated and lit and there's tables with food. Yeah, like so they have snacks. <laughs> where, like all they really care about is drinking and getting laid and hanging out in a fucking funeral parlor. But they've got snacks. And I will tell you, it looked like it would be a pretty fun party, except the party aspect maybe lasts 10 minutes of the movie. And then the music stops. And it's Stooges Ghetto Blaster. <laughs> <laughs> boombox. I love the way you say Ghetto Blaster. Ghetto Blaster. It is a boombox. Yes. It is his stereo system. And you know it's his because it's got a bunch of fucking stickers all over it. Because he's so punk. He's super punk. And punk means stickers on your stuff. See some stickers on your laptop there. Fucking <laughs> right. There's stickers on my speakers. I'm no punk. <laughs> no, that's true. Yeah. Where was I going with this? The piddly portable picnic player. Wow, that was impressive. Anyways, his batteries die. And he's like, ain't you ever heard of Duracell? I'm like, Which is awesome because they do have a flashlight that has about 67 fucking D-cell batteries, which is probably what I never even fucking thought of that. That's me always thinking, man. They've got so much flashlights with all sizes of batteries. They probably have like a giant box of batteries in the back of one of their cars to power all of these things. They don't have anything to keep the piddly portable picnic player powered that is a lot of alliteration that's what lydia's do best (laughs) wow but i never did yeah i never put that fucking shit together everything is battery powered in those days so as if people don't have batteries he does stooge mentions that he had just replaced the battery so i always kind of got the impression that it was through supernatural means for some reason the demons were like no music for you because it lulls them. If you listen to Anne Rice, it, you know, it, they get into the music, right? All the, the demons and such. So they can't, you know, uh, mind control people or take people over because they're all lulled by the music. So they have to turn that music off so they can concentrate on fucking up your shit, right? But they could have put the batteries from some of the flashlights into the music player. That guy had the biggest flashlight ever. Oh, it was hot. It was, it was fucking it was so massive. Big. Oh, yeah. Like a fucking third leg. Fucking right. It was massive. It was like a cop's flashlight from back in the day. I feel like it's the type of flashlight that you would use as a weapon. Like oh, it's it a definitely club. is. That's what the point of it was. Jesus. It doesn't take, you know, eight diesel batteries to power a little tiny light bulb. Yeah. But geez. either way, you know, everything else in the house seems to function i mean there's all kinds of lights going on not just flashlights like there's no power but there seems to be like ambient light it's one of those movies where there's no lights on and it's the middle of the night sure there's a full moon but it's awfully well lit Mm -hmm. there's still gas running to the place apparently so like it's not shut down so they probably could have figured something out but either way the music turns off and that's what leads to this weird fucking seance thing that I've never heard of before. It's not even... It's not Bloody Mary. No, it's no it's no party game or lore or anything that I've ever heard of. Yeah, there's usually some sort of chant or something you have to do. Something. Or a ritual you have to perform to use like a mirror for scrying, which is sort of what they're doing. But I think Angela just makes this shit up. She definitely has a few lines that really make it seem like she's just some kind of like weird Molgoth that 
kind of just like yeah like makes up shit as she goes like maybe has one book about witches <laughs> went to the library one day because people kept calling her a witch and she was like okay i guess i might as well learn a little bit okay cool yeah because it's, it's it's pretty adolescent to just be like on halloween the demons don't have to be in hell see what weirds me out though is that there is a Bauhaus song quite famously in the dance scene and who brought that stooge i don't think so because he's a punk jock or whatever the hell and that's not the sort of music i think that he would have on his little boombox because they were listening to something that was a little closer to like you know sam hain or danzig or something like that before yeah so it doesn't seem like his style of music that seems like angela's style of music for sure which then tells me that she's no mall goth or she is some sort of goth of higher esteem than a mall goth as we would know it today yes so where the fuck did that tape come from i have a sinister theory did you are you gonna say it came from hell yeah i'm saying that the demons brought that cassette tape because the the stereo didn't work uh-huh. it died yeah and all, all of a sudden it turned on again Mm-mm. sorry Either the batteries are dead or they're not. And if the batteries weren't dead and the stereo did just randomly turn off, that means that it turned off through supernatural means. Which means that when it turned on again, it was playing its own fucking music, the Demon's special brand. It's like that scene in Beetlejuice where, like, the fucking, they all start singing that song. Deo. Yeah, Deo. You know, like, that. Like, do you think, like, the Dietz family had that? Actually, I kind of do. But yeah, yeah, you know what, maybe. Yeah. They would have that, like... Uh, on vinyl <laughs> and they would have a phonograph but either way yeah that's uh what is it harry belafonte is that who does this deo yeah, <laughs> yeah. uh okay i i can believe that yeah okay what's what's more you it's know. demons music it's music from hell that's the de- that's the cassette that the demons brought with them yeah i mean it's a little mopey for them i think but because i always kind of when i think about what what music would demons listen to it's all just like metal right yeah. <laughs> Metal and like certain classical. I guess some nice Schubert. Demons would probably listen to Schubert. You think so? Mm-hmm. Or like Mozart towards the end of his life? Like Wagner, something like that. Yeah. yeah. I th- I suppose like that's like the age of the demon. Do you think like a demon that's just like, oh, I'm a classy demon. He's listening to the classical, and then there's, like, hair metal demons. That, or it is a seduction tactic. They're like, we're going to play something that will tap into the psyche of this girl. Because she's she's prepared for us. She knows we're here. She's more in tune with us, so it's harder for us to just take her over. Mm -hmm. Because we can easily take over somebody who is of weak fortitude, and she's not. So we need something to, like, lull her. Something to, like, seduce her into Mm -hmm. letting us possess her. And do they ever, right? It works, I guess. So maybe that's part of it, is that they use it as sort of a little bit of a, a lube to get into her. The strangest thing about the demon possession in this movie is they needed to make an initial possession, and they do, of Suzanne. Which is kind of cool. This is where we can get into a little bit of the camera techniques of this film that I really, really enjoy. Um, If we 
peel back to the mirror session, yes. which gets interrupted and is, is kind of ridiculous. It is the introduction of the demons in this film. It happens fairly quickly, thank God. There's not a lot of like character building. It doesn't go on too, too long. Yeah. So I guess about 15, 20 minutes in, we get to see our first demons. And we get some really cool uh, camera effects, which don't persist through the whole film. But there are a lot of really well-wrought camera angles. There are a lot of really neat uh, mirror scenes when the mirror does fall and shatter. Mm-hmm. And we get the first like Sam Raimi-esque shot of the demons coming in. to see. Yeah, something. like a POV tracking shot, just like... Yeah. Up through, up through the house, and it's funny because when I first watched this movie, I never put that together. I've probably seen this movie three or four times, mm-hmm. and now when I watch it with you, all I could start doing was drawing comparisons to Evil Dead, because I said, "Huh, it's a bunch of people going to a dilapidated building that is." And each one of them are getting possessed by a demon. And when they're possessed by a demon, they become a grotesque thing. That And they're pretty much fucked at that point. With kick-ass one-liners and an awesome voice. Yeah, kick-ass one-liners and an awesome voice. There's a dance scene. There's a dance scene in Evil Dead movies. Uh, Evil Dead 2 in particular. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a yeah, lot Yeah, there's a of lot stuff. of parallels once you notice it. And... I was personally trying to pick out Alice in Wonderland parallels myself just well, because be- uh, of the, Judy was uh... yeah just as Alice and there aren't many but I kept my eye out for that but um, there really are a lot of parallels and there's a lot of camera techniques and stuff like that and uh, special effects techniques that are very similar mm-hmm. but sh- you could just chalk it up as to it's a horror film oh yeah absolutely and I'm certainly not trying to suggest that Night of the Demons ripped them off or anything like that. I oh, think no. it's a perfect val it's a perfectly valid form of storytelling. And if you're doing a movie about demon possessions, it's really hard to not draw parallels to one of the most famous demon possessing franchises in horror, with exception obviously to like something like The Exorcist. Mm-hmm. But all that being said, the camera techniques are really effective in this movie. Sometimes I find it a little strange because they'll use uh, quick zooms or quick pullouts or tracking shots in moments that are super effective. and But then in other times where people, other filmmakers would probably make the decision to use those exact same shots in certain jump scare incidents, they don't. No. Sometimes when a door will open and they'll do the musical cue that is supposed to shock the viewer, but they don't adjust the camera angle when it happens. So it falls flat, which was really weird to me. Yeah, and that's part of why I think I forgot how effective the camera work is in this film because there's so many scenes where it's not utilized. Right. But, I mean, the the scenes where they are utilized, it looks really good. And you're like, there's even just these moments where it's like, oh, this is filmed really well. Uh, For example, when the possessed Angela is gliding through the hallways and the really weird, I'm not going to say like Dutch tilts, but like the weird... No, they do use some Dutch tilts with all the... When they're showing different scenes around the house and the doors are closing and stuff like that. Oh, for sure. 
uh, using that low point of view or right. that trick perspective and things like that. That I mean, and and it gave her like this really eerie quality where almost she seems to be gliding through the air. Now, I should point out that Suzanne is the first person possessed, and she just kind of lowers her voice and stops acting so vapid. But right at the get-go, you don't really see anything wrong with her. She then kisses Angela, who then, the I suppose the possession is now transferred over to her. Now they're both possessed. But that's the only time the possession works like this in this movie, to our knowledge. Now, to be fair, one character does go missing, and the next time you see her, she is a fully realized, possessed character. But every other character is killed and then they come back and they seem a little less in control of their faculties than the others they seem more zombie-like maybe there are two different kinds of things going on like the actual demonic beings that reside in this house have taken over the first two hosts and the rest are minions perhaps Mm -hmm. i i would buy that i would buy that it certainly seems specific the way some of them are able to move around more naturally while others are... Now, look, it could just be the way the actors are choosing to move around because some of them seemed a little green with uh, with uh, their acting chops not quite there yet. So they might have just been like, oh, I guess I'm going to walk like with my arms out. and Like, like I'm, a zombie. I'm a zombie, like a very cliched zombie walk. What we would need is the names of the demons, and that would help us out a lot. Pazuzu or... (laughs) When Angela becomes possessed, she seems to be really content with her dancing, with the fire. It's one of my favorite scenes in this entire movie. I don't know if it would be what would be considered the most memorable, because there's a lot of pretty memorable scenes in the movie. But just the combination of the song Stigmata Martyr... And the strobe light that is just there. Because one of them was like... "We." Brought... My mom used to be an acid head. Yeah, here's a strobe light. I'm like, wow. And then I was like, fuck, I want to get a strobe light. What did they plug it into? Good question. Certainly not the same thing they plugged the, the uh, boombox into. Yeah. Very strange. But either way, I guess the demons have the strobe light working because why not? Yeah. Yeah, when she's warming her hands by the fire. Yeah, burning her hands. But I like the, the dance sequence is awesome, super famous, and then she warms her hand by the fire, and then people start dropping. The weird thing about this party, quote-unquote, is that everyone seems content to just separate after the seance doesn't go well. Roger wants the fuck out. Oh, yeah, he's not impressed because he's uh, the son of a preacher. He's the son of a preacher, which is weird that he would go to this in the first place but he seems okay to participate in this ritual and then when it seems to be legitimate uh helen seems to be uh one of the other women that are there freaks the fuck out because she sees a demon head in the mirror before it breaks and then they immediately just try to leave and everyone really makes fun of him like like they call him a pussy and whatever and he just very sheepishly trots off but they can't leave the premises anymore because the gate is now gone this is the part i like okay now we've got the the creep factor is settling in harsh the camera angles are becoming a little more pronounced 
they've used some really neat camera tricks with their reflection shots, which already, you know, tells you that you're, you've crossed over, you're through a looking glass now, right? So Mm -hmm. you're into, the house has taken control of this universe. And the gate is gone, which I love. I love it when it gets really physical, where the actors and characters have to try and like find a way out or find some solution, and they have to search and they mm-hmm. have to physically, you know, go around looking and taking account of their surroundings for once. Yeah. Uh, it's a cool trick too. I like this, and of course, then you have Angela and Sal's getting very freaked out, who seem to be pretty stone cold and just unfreak outable at this yeah. point. Well, they introduce him into the movie as kind of a fucking dick, and so you, and you think he's like, oh, he's the dick joke character because he's pulling pranks and shit like that and we all know that in horror if you're kind of a douche and you're pulling pranks yeah you're not long for this world yeah but he's you know i like that he gets freaked out as freaked out as he does by angela's dance just sort of backing away from the creepy goth girl yeah but i mean he seems kind of into it at first and then and then you're kind of like you're weird like yeah like you all knew this before yeah and she's not even doing anything really weird. I think it's just kind of kick-ass dance. It's not like over-the-top, slutty, sexy at all. But I don't know. Maybe she is with the crab walking and the upside-down bending backwards stuff. All she needed was a chair routine. Then it would have been like super fucking cool. But either way, I guess I, I guess I could see that freaking out the squares. Maybe that's what their whole plan was. They were going to scare them by goth dancing. Maybe. It wouldn't freak me out, but there was a couple of moments where she was, like, beckoning Saul over, and I just kept thinking, if somebody was dancing at me like that, and then they were, like, giving me, like, a come-hither thing, I would assume that they're asking me to dance. now. Oh, fuck. Uh, perhaps, but uh, I'm usually not that fortunate. It's usually, let's just dance. But And one of the things is, if a lady asks you to dance, which is rare for me, uh, you have to go. You have to say yes, because typically speaking, women don't do that. Okay. But I would just be like, I don't know how to dance with you like this. You look like you're swimming through the fucking ocean. Like, I got nothing. She's brushing cobwebs. That's what she's doing. That's what it's called. That's what it's called. Cleaning cobwebs. Cleaning cobwebs. Is that what she's doing? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, Lisa Lattisar will will describe it to you. There's a video, I believe, uh, what is goth. And yeah, yeah, on yeah. YouTube. Yeah, she does. We'll yeah. have to watch this. Because this, this ladies I've and gentlemen. It. I've seen it. Oh, you have? Okay. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. believe she talks about it in there. Mm-hmm. Um, now, this was, I, I guess maybe this is your third class in, in hardcore Gotham. Yeah, I've been I've been going to school today. Yeah, you're going to school. Some Bauhaus, yeah, some goth dancing. It's fun. Yeah, clearly goth. <laughs> yeah, I think that all mall goths should watch this movie, maybe. Don't watch The Craft. Watch this. Light as a feather, stiff as a bone. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> Anyhow, so yes, Angela is overly possessed, but she doesn't have the face that I have come to know and love quite yet. She still looks pretty approachable and pretty normal. It's kind of tricksy. Suzanne still looks kind of approachable as well. well she's drawn in her face, though. Eh, still kind of approachable. I don't know. I like when her makeup, she looks kind of like Anna Nicole Smith dressed as a clown makeup. <laughs> fucking coked right out of her fucking skull videos. Yeah. Uh, that is exactly what she reminded me of. It was a really fucking end of life fucked up Anna Nicole Smith. And she's fucking riding this dude. And her makeup is like completely ridiculous. She has a great big heart drawn in lipstick. The lipstick that she <laughs> conveniently tucked away for later. 
in, in tucked her way into her breast, mind you. Now she's pretty on the inside. Now she's pretty on the inside. I love her. It's a pretty cool effect. It's a big prosthetic chest that she's wearing. Linnea Quigley? Linnea Quigley. Yeah, yeah. a very uh, famous scream queen, especially from that era. People would know her from like Return of the Living Dead and, and a host of other movies. She typically does a lot of nudity. Well, in those days. So Suzanne is riding this guy with this fucking fucked up makeup, this Anna Nicole Smith looking face, and she becomes concerned about the way her makeup looks all of a sudden. As you do. Mid-coitus, of course. <laughs> and he says, your makeup looks fine, which is one of the funnier lines, I think. Yeah. Well, because he's having sex, and, and he, all he knows is uh, apparently bad makeup means I'm not having sex anymore. This happens twice in this film, this mid-coitus uh, fucking possession stuff. Which, yeah, well, there's uh, a lot of sexy times going on in this movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's not by any means like a sex romp, but yeah, nah. it is. there is some sexy times. But prior to that, when she is uh, toying with the lipstick around her boob, I was saying when we were watching, that's trailer material. It's a little racy for trailer material, I'll admit, but mm. I love that scene. I love that. It's, it's another thing that sets up that, we are we are in another dimension now. We're in Creepsville. We are in a place where these completely fucking untoward circumstances in a completely fucking bizarre house mm-hmm. are the new normal. It's cool because I, I dig the move of the house itself not letting you leave. Mm-hmm. Because any other situation, we'll just run out of the house. Well, the gate's gone. Like, and I don't mean the gate's locked. I mean, the gate the no longer... The wall has sealed itself. Yeah, the, the gate no longer exists. The doors can seem to lock and unlock on whims, open and close, whatever. And you are in a house of horrors, just full of people getting slowly possessed by demons who want nothing more than to kill you. A perfect Halloween party. Absolutely. At this point, you sort of do drop the Halloween veneer as well yeah i i mean characters are still wearing costumes which is even greater when they become possessed people now wearing costumes but other than that i agree the whole veneer of of the oh it's a halloween party and this is halloween kind of slides away because it at this point it could be any time of the year you don't need witches goblins pumpkins anything like that right now because the demons are now coming and they're going to start showing their true faces. And that's Halloween enough. Mm-hmm. As characters start dropping off, the interesting thing is a lot of times characters are dying and they don't even really know anything's wrong until it's too late. I'd say more than half the characters get bumped off before they even realize anything is amiss. Only Roger and Sal really have go the longest with knowing something is completely wrong. Roger being freaked out from the get-go. And one of the interesting things about this character of Roger is that he's a fucking coward. Like, an absolute coward. He doesn't even really have moments of bravery. Yeah, he's a total shaggy. Shaggy in uh, Scooby-Doo. Up to the point in which The three survivors left in the movie, Judy, Sal, and Roger, they get to the outside of the house, and you kind of get a sense that, like, Roger's trying to help, 
like, come on, come on, like, you gotta move your body and, like, get over to this side and jump down and, and, you know, kind of shouting commands at her. Yeah. Meanwhile, Saul is fighting with the demonic Angela, and they go toppling ass over tea kettle off the side of the building. When they make their escape, they finally... Judy jumps down. Her and Roger book it into the crematorium. They have this moment, which I love... Where they start to laugh, and 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 I guess what are they really laughing at? It's just the stress of the fucking situation, and you have to release it somehow. And his his laughter turns into very hard crying. Yeah, he's wailing, and you can almost you can you're listening for the difference because you sort of know what's coming because that's what they've set him up as. He is the guy that's going to snap and lose his fucking mental faculties. And the laughing, you're at first, like, kind of relieved along with them because you've been trapped in this house of horrors along with them. And the release of tension, you know, and the the happiness that they just got away, supposedly. Uh, But you can hear his voice crack and change. It's done very, very well. Mm -hmm. And then she cradles him and tells him that it's going to be okay. It's just interesting to see a bit of a role reversal. It's not... The, the, the crying girl that's terrified. She's scared, of course, because who wouldn't be? But he is ten times more scared than she is. And she's definitely a doer in that she's trying to find a way out of the room. She's trying to think of anything. Trying to rationalize what's happening. Not rationalize, but oh, don't you remember what Angela said? And this is what's happening. And so she is determined that what their best course of action is probably to do is to wait until dawn. She believes that the spell will be broken in that amount of time. And then as the demons attack through the door, she's you know, making weapons and stuff like that, pulling the gas line, making a little flamethrower. Yeah, she's definitely been a doer. She saved that lighter from very, very, very beginning. And Oh yeah. Yeah. And they sort of foreshadow a little tiny bit, just like why would she want to keep the lighter? But she didn't want to be there in the first place. Kind of similar to Roger, who wanted to leave pretty quickly. She just never wanted to be there in the first place. So when she picked up the lighter, I was like, Scramble for tools, scramble for weapons. Like She's not really scrambling for weapons at that point at all because there's mm-hmm. nothing really amiss at that point. Mm-hmm. But she is like, I don't want to be here and this is just feels weird to me, so I'm going to keep this lighter in case I need it later, which she eventually, of course, does. But I thought it was a neat little foreshadowing trick. Do you think it's weird that Suzanne is the first one possessed but Angela seems to kind of be the leader? I think that she's a leader in their friendship, too. You'd pointed out that it seems weird to you that they're even friends at all, mm-hmm. considering Angela just doesn't have a lot of friends. I don't see that as much, because I'd explained it as Angela has her darkness on the outside. Suzanne has all her darkness on the inside. She is that uh, pastel goth, I suppose you would call it nowadays. Mm-hmm. They're a lot alike. I think that they're both just as subversive, just as dark-minded as one another, they seem to get along just fine, and they have the same sort of goal to scare these squares. Maybe they're both treated poorly at school. I don't know, because they don't really set up Suzanne very much. She doesn't have a lot as much background. Not really, but 
when you look at her costume and you look at her obsession with her makeup, her appearance and stuff like that, she just kind of comes across as quite vapid to me. But she doesn't really strike me as someone who would be unpopular and thus forced to hang out with someone like Angela. But I guess if they did have that mutual dark sensibility, then they would probably get along. Well, she'd be the easiest to possess then because she's not completely out of tune with the darker forces. And she's also very shallow. So there's not a lot going on up there. Mm. She just leaves herself very open. Like she leaves herself very open to Angela's leadership. Yeah, I suppose I never thought about that way. You went ahead and put some smarts into into my confusion. I like it. Well, I'm often sitting back in a crowd wondering who would be the easiest to possess. (laughs) It's just a thing I do. So... Like I said, they de- uh, she determines that they'll probably be fine at dawn. Sounds like another possession movie about waiting till the sunrise, but anyways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hopefully they won't be dead by dawn. Dead by dawn? Dead by dawn. Dead, dead by, by dawn. dawn. Dead by dawn. Anyway. <laughs> that could go on for like 15 minutes. Yeah, yeah. No, it definitely did. And that's where we started to pick out more parallels between this and uh, the evil dead. Mm-hmm. Which, again, is not a bad thing. Once they roast the demons and they make their escape from the crematorium, they seem to just be in a real shitty way because they're running... They're continuously running back around through the house. Or the house. I keep saying house. It's not a house. It's a massive... Like the grounds. The grounds. Yeah. What's contained by the wall? Yeah. Trying to find their way out. And when they eventually get to the wall, it's like... I like that... First, the wall never seems really that tall until they get to it and the camera pans up. Now, all of a sudden, the wall seems massive. Which is another one of those small, subtle tricks that I really love about this film. Mm-hmm. Everything seems all of a sudden really, really confined and really, really close, but then also very, very vast. It's bigger on the inside. If you want to throw a Doctor Who joke in there. Um <laughs> Yeah, as soon as they approach the wall, it seems insurmountably high. And the only way to climb it is to climb razor wire. Yeah, which I love. Um, that's where I'd pointed out. I'd never, I haven't seen the remake, and I don't really want to. But if it was a proper remake, like not a shot-for-shot remake, but something like that, mm-hmm. I would love to see that scene done nowadays. But it's done extremely well back then, mm-hmm. uh, especially with the camera techniques and that the characters are under duress. And we've gotten to know them quite a bit. There isn't a lot of character building in this film. Not really. But we do get really cozy with Raj and Judy because we've also been witness to their breakdown. We've been witness to Roger going from his maniacal laughter into wailing. That was done in a really touching long shot in a mm-hmm. very dilapidated poorly lit, scary-looking crematorium or autopsy room. Uh, so it is like you've been set up and you've had this tender moment between them. Really, they're you only... feel like you have had this intimate bit, so you know them very, very well. Their only quiet moment yeah. s- since this shit all went down, basically. Yeah. So now you know that they've gone through that change and they've now gotten that will to live and they need to beat this thing. And so when they're climbing the wall, it's, you know, you're along for the ride with them. Yeah, absolutely. And you just want them to, be, you just want them to make it. Mm-hmm. Now, Roger exhibits his classic survival instincts at this wall because Judy 
tries to grab it a couple of times, the razor wire, and it obviously is painful, so she can't do it. And he literally was just like, I'm not going to say that he, like, shoved her out of the way, but he did. Yeah. And he was just like, ah, let me out of here. And that's not even the first time he's done this, because one time when all the demons were enclosing, closing in on them, when it seemed like all the doors and one of the two all the doors are closing sequences in this film. I love those. They're pretty good. Yeah. They go on for a bit, in my opinion, but there's <laughs> like, a lot of doors. That's door slamming for 15 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> he, Roger busts out this line where he's like, they're not getting me. And he beelines it for a window and just smashes through it. And Judy honestly has the reaction that I think any person in that situation would have. Where she just kind of throws up her arms and she's like, Roger! <laughs> like, just, bah! Bah, Felicia! Bah! Like, he's just fucking gone. Like, he's just like, goodbye, I'm I'm not saving you. That's where, if I were writing this horror movie, he would definitely be impaled on something. Well, that's what you would normally think. Because he jumps through the wall and anytime that a character in a slasher, in a horror, whatever, acts cowardly... They're usually punished for that. Yeah. The, like, or if they actually succeed in their getting away. They're not getting me, I'll jump out the window, dead. Yeah. They're not getting me, I'm going to jump over the wall, dead. Or yeah. or they get away, they're fine, they turn the corner, shit, the fucking killer is right there. Yeah. Or or they die in some sort of like pathetic way. No, no, he... he uh, we cut back to him and he's like, I'm alive, I'm alive. And she runs out the hole that he made. And I guess he made the hole. And then and then at this wall scene, he just fucking pulls her out of the way. And he's just like, get me out of here. He climbs up the wall. And I suppose he has a little bit of redemption because Judy is trying her best. He's at the top of the wall. But I mean, first of all, climbing a 90 degree angle on a fucking brick wall is going to be difficult. You give her something to climb on, which is razor wire. It's not helping anything. No. So this is and tough. And they're already very tired. They're already underdressed. They've already come face to face with these demons several times. They've already realized exactly what they're up against and that mm-hmm. these things are relentless. All of their friends at this point are after them and changed into horrific demons. Yeah. That that of a lot of them exhibiting the wounds that they've gotten. I mean, uh, her boyfriend, like Suzanne. But well, you don't like your blind date. <laughs> Angela gets very like uh, one liney when when <laughs> another parallel to Evil Dead, maybe. Yeah, it's pretty funny because uh, her boyfriend gets his eyes poked out for having sex with Suzanne. Sexy sex with Suzanne. Sexy sex with sexy Suzanne. makeup. With her sexy makeup face. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. And then pokes his eyes out. Uh, the the two couple, the, the couple that has, that gets murdered in the coffin, one just gets, like, they're in the middle of having sex. And the possessed stooge, who's been dead for a bit, comes in and, like, breaks the girl's neck. And While like, she's still on top. Yeah. Mid, another mid-coitus death, which yeah. is and hilarious. Then, and I just got to say that... The coffin sex scene, when he is likening it to the back of his father's Volkswagen bug, I was like, immediately, like, you just do not know how to fuck in a coffin. You're doing a shitty job. So they sort of deserved what they got in a way. But yeah, that was a really creepy, gross kind of... Are you uh, trying to say that you know how to have sex in a coffin? 
I feel like there's an entire story here. Anyway, so <laughs> I think that they sort of deserve what they got in a way, just for being mouthy about it. Inept at having sex in a coffin, you say? You're going to hinge on this, aren't you? I can like envision hinge- having better sex in a coffin. Oh, okay. But, of course, it's a horror movie, so you have to have girl on top so you can see lots of boob action. That's true. Yeah. So... But anyway, all that to say is when Roger realizes that he can't get Judy out, he does what he always does, and he just jumps off the wall and leaves her there hanging while all these demons are pulling at her, trying to get her down, and he just covers his ears because he doesn't want to hear her screams. And they do a little bit of that for a while, and to the point where you're almost looking at the screen just like, just do something. You can't just be a coward for the whole movie. And then he kind of redeems himself a little bit, it was a pretty safe move, though, because, I mean, he was already on top of the wall. So it's not like he would have gotten pulled back down. But I still give him props because just as she's about to lose grip of the razor wire, he comes back and grabs her hand at the last moment and pulls her up. And then just just like that, the demons can't get out of that house. Well, they can't cross running water and that river is still running underneath. So they're mm-hmm. screwed. They're trapped till dawn. Which is moments away, which is strange because they seem to only arrive there just after sundown. And if this is in real time, and it seems to be sort of in real time, they've been there, what, 98 minutes? And poof, sunrise. Night was shorter in those days. Oh, was it? I never noticed. (laughs) I'm glad we have more night now. I know, right? (laughs) Yeah, and then we're just treated to the demons kind of turning to fog. (laughs) And... And slowly lowering themselves off of the camera frame. And, and then... back into the ground from whence they came until next year. Because I assume that they just come every single Halloween. At least three different Halloweens. At least three different Halloweens. But then if you listen, at the end of Halloween 3, uh, Stephanie Botter's character says that she's going to come back every Halloween until she dies to make sure this never happens again. She does say that, yeah. Yeah, until she dies. Every Halloween, she's going to go to Hull House and make sure it stays safe. Which is double cool to me, because Stephanie Butter has been a friend of Ottawa Horror. She lives in Ottawa, at least part-time. And she was slated to write for us, although it didn't happen. She became busy right after that with giving some workshops. But... I've always really liked Night of the Demons 3, and it's one of the, I think, the coolest film on her repertoire. And she's the coolest final girl at the end of a franchise to have a line, too, that she's going to come back there every Halloween until she dies. So I'm going to find find her and ask her what she's doing this Halloween. Do you think that she's going to the house? I hope so. I'd go with her. Oh, my God, that'd be so cool. I know. Like, you don't understand. Like, Night of the Demons 3 is, like, a really fucking important movie to me like i think that movie is awesome yeah no i think it is really awesome too i haven't seen it as much as you have that's for sure but i do think it's really really awesome and i do like the end of it and it does set it up for more and i really wish that there were more yeah i could handle uh night of the demons four five six 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 night of the demons bloodlines oh fuck yeah (laughs) freaking right oh yeah can pinhead come hell yeah <laughs> I would watch that. I would watch the hell out of that. The Hellraiser out of that. I would watch the Hellraiser out of that. 
Well, that's a cool Ottawa connection, though, to the whole Night of the Demons franchise. And all that this really, really, really makes me want to do is not have a crazy Halloween party and sex in a coffin and a funeral home, but watch Witchboard. Jeff Jeffrey, the director of this yes. franchise, is the guy that helmed the Witchboard franchise. And I really liked Witchboard 1, as lame as it was, back in the day. And I haven't watched it since. So I don't know if it's one of those ones... I'm pretty sure it's one of those movies that is not good and I'm not going to enjoy it. But I'm sure there's portions of it that will still have stuck with me. Well, that's the main thing, right? There's tons of movies out there that aren't all right. They don't meet every quote unquote requirement of like the rules of cinema. But if you're bringing a significant amount of baggage to it, if you could remember what you were doing, what your life was like, or, or when you first watched this movie, like all that nostalgia shit, like that can make, that will make all the difference. And maybe it can't be a movie that you could show to your friends and be like, look how awesome this movie is because they won't get it. But for you, it's fucking awesome. Which is like fucking half the fucking movies that I own. Someone, I'm not that sentimental of a person though. So it might not work as well for me as it does mm. for most people. Uh, I'm still going to revisit it. And as many of the Witchboard films as I can handle. But this film, sentimentality aside, and the amount of time that has passed since my first viewing of it, it definitely holds up. And I really, really like that. Aside from being impressed from the camera techniques and the acting is not bad. It's really, really not bad at all. It's not bad. The Some are stronger effects, than others, but they have like good. They 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 got a boon because they have some really good actors in the early stages of their career before they kind of become household names in the horror community at the very least. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the special effects you're saying? Are decent. They definitely, definitely are for oh, the yeah. time. And they hold up pretty well. They hold up pretty well. Um, we were talking about when somebody says Night of the Demons, what is the scene that comes to your mind? Yes. For you, it was definitely the dance. It's the dancing scene. Yeah. For sure. For me, it's her coming down the hallway with her face in full, full blown demonic possession, yeah. and the way that her mouth and teeth look and stuff like yeah. that. That's a great voice. makeup. I couldn't remember any of her one liners. There was a few from Night of the Demons three because me and uh, my friend Terry used to lob one liners back and forth at mm-hmm. uh, one another from that. But from this one, I didn't remember any things they specifically said. But how they said them, I definitely remembered. And mm-hmm. that's what sticks with me with these films, is that uh, creature makeup. Yeah, the creature makeup. Honestly, it's just fun. It's just a fucking fun Halloween movie that you can watch and just... It's, I, I don't know. Like it's To me, it's so fucking perfect for just like a, a dopey... Hol- There's tons of movies that take place that on Halloween or make you feel like it's Halloween... But this one really fucking makes it seem, reminds me of like Halloween, how it was for me, like fucking like trick or treating and, and all this other shit, you know, like crappy costumes, stupid excuses to go have a party and, and then like creepy shit actually happening, you know, maybe getting to see an R-rated movie when you're really not supposed to. Because, like, I was so young when these movies were on TV and shit. Yeah, you were. It does remind me of the way Halloween was for me in that they have a creepy seance in a dilapidated house. And I've definitely done that. 
yeah. more often than parties and crappy costumes and stuff. But I really like that it is bookended with Halloween, even though they do drop the Halloween pretense and it's taken over by the demonic possession, which I would, you know, that's, I'm happy with that. I would take that any day. Um, but then they do pick it up at the very, very end where they're walking home. Sort of a walk of shame sort of look to them. It is kind of a walk of shame. Yeah. Because they're still in their costumes. They look like hell. And we completely glossed over this character. But there's like an old man at the very start of the movie who is just a nasty, miserable Calls fuck. Judy a whore and he everything. calls her a whore for no reason. Damn She's, kids. Damn kids, get off my lawn. Although, I have to say that um, Sal giving him like the rubber rat and he's like, oh, and he's like. Made you laugh? Yeah. Thought, <laughs> thought he's going to blow his pacemaker? Yeah, play, blow his pacemaker. He's being a dick. And then at the end, or sorry, at the end of that scene, the old man has like an apple and he's bought some razor blades and he's literally like, because he's going to give these to kids apparently. Well, we're at the end of the movie. We're back with that old man and his loving wife, question mark, yeah. has baked a pie. And this, honestly, was, like, fucking, like, a Tales from the Crypt-like ending. It really was. It really, really was. Where the old man eats a pie for his breakfast, for whatever reason you would eat a fucking apple pie for breakfast. Breakfast pie, man. Yeah, breakfast pie, all right. And he ha- he's like, where'd, where'd you get all the, where, where'd you make this? And she's like, I've been up for hours. I've been baking. It's like, I... Use some of those apples that you were selling, or that you were uh, that you bought. Why do you buy so many? And she's so calm. And then he's just like, ah, and like his neck erupts in blood and razors just falling out of it. I love that scene. It's almost like the razors themselves are sentient beings, and they're like, "We gotta get out of here." Yeah, ah, it's like some of the scenes they really do look alive. <laughs> and then she's just sitting there sipping her tea. And when he dies, she just walks over to him and pats his head. And then she just says, happy Halloween. I mean, I was waiting for her to look at the camera and wink. Yeah. (laughs) It's fantastic. It's fantastic. It's kind of surreal. It's super surreal because at no point of the the movie has been fourth Wally like this. And this character has nothing to do with the plot. This is the first we've met her, because when I first saw the wife, I was like, this asshole's married? Ugh. Yeah. And and you don't even really get a sense that she did it on purpose. But then when she says, happy Halloween, oh, that was seems definitely on purpose. Yeah. Yeah. She's evil. She's evil. Mm-hmm. But it's fantastic. I like it. Yeah, I like that old guy. It's funny. I like the ending of it, too. You finally made it to sunrise. You survived along with them. You're probably worse for wear like they are in their costumes. And they encounter this old fella. So you get your little bookend. It's a nice, neat wrap-up. But it's so fucking weird because what other movies can you think of? Because I can't think of any. Where they introduce a character in the beginning of the movie. And then by the end of the movie, the main characters don't even notice him. And then we continue on with a scene with him. Where he's killed in something that has nothing to do with the plot of the movie. It's completely its own thing. I think it's more of a tactic of 80s comedy films and stuff like that. Think so? Yeah, that's what that seems to be to me. I can't name any of them. Yeah, I certainly can't. But 
there has to be some sort of name for that completely disconnected wraparound. Because that's exactly what he is. It's weird with the whole razors and the apples thing, though. Because at that time, that was largely a thing of urban myth. Yes. I think that there was only very few reports of that ever actually happening. And it wasn't specifically razor blades in the apples. That was an urban myth. And that was something that like, I used in 1994 as a project for photography class in college. And it wasn't looked at like, it was kind of looked at as like a joke. You know, it was kind of funny mm-hmm. where now every year you're seeing in the in the news, people are poisoning children and putting like needles, syringes and shit like that. It's happening like more and more every year. Mm-hmm. So that urban myth has come to pass, unfortunately, where it's not fucking funny anymore. And I don't know if they could really slip that into a movie without sounding like super fucking assholes about putting razor blades in candy. And this is why we don't have Halloween the way that we used to have Halloween. Mm-hmm. Aside from just, you know, people not trusting one another and people having more firearms in their homes and, you know, people just being generally way more fucking barbaric. Especially, like, to kids and stuff. Where I don't think that that would be very funny in a movie right now. But mm-hmm. in that movie, at the time, that was kind of hilarious. Yeah. I can see what you're saying. Yeah, yes, it is true. It won't really celebrate Halloween like we used to, but oh, we're celebrating Halloween here at the Dead Air Podcast. Oh my God, are we ever? Yeah, we um, are going to do a movie that is the biggie, the a granddaddy of horror. We are going to do 1978's Halloween, but we can't just do one because I consider, like many people consider, that Halloween one and two are a perfect two movies together. So, next week we'll be doing Halloween, and then the week after, your Halloween weekend, we'll be doing Halloween 2. And you're asking yourself, what could you fuckers possibly say about these movies, these iconic, legendary movies that not... That That hasn't been said already? There's documentaries, there are books... There are screeds. There are fucking people more expert than us. Like There's probably a stack of paper taller than I am on this movie. Yeah. So what we're going to do is we're going to treat you to a commentary track. Fuck my life. So it's going to be really fun. Fun. It's going to be super fun because this is going to be a completely 100% unedited episode of the Dead Air Podcast. So you can hear us be fucking morons. While we talk at the TV to a movie that we've seen a hundred times. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. It is going to be painful. Yeah. For us, hopefully entertaining for you. Mm -hmm. And I think it's going to be, you know, a little bit enlightening. Because I've never watched Halloween. We've talked about Halloween 1 and 2. Like the Halloween franchise, by and large, many times. Mm -hmm. But we've never watched either of them together. No, it's true. And... It should be fucking... I'm pretty stoked for it. I think it'll be funny. <laughs> I'm going to have to get some apples. Wink. <laughs> so we'll have something to snack on. Wink. While we watch it. Happy Halloween? <laughs> question mark? Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry.
I didn't mean to make you lose your shit and die. <laughs> spilling out on the floor. <laughs> on that note, I'm Wes Knight. And I'm Typical Idiot. And you've been listening to Dead Air. <laughs>